0: I ask you to open God's words with me to the book of Acts, chapter 13. Acts 13 is one of those long chapters, about 52 verses. So today is our third Sunday in it. We'll be in it again next week. But as we discussed so far... Beginning of 13, as we remember that Barnabas and, uh, yeah, get your your head together, John. (laughs) Okay, Um, that Paul and Barnabas were set aside to the ministry, Uh, the Holy Spirit set them aside, then the church prayed and fasted with them and sent them off on their way, and John Mark went with them. Um, They headed to the island of Cyprus. Um, we know that Barnabas had family there and probably property yet and uh, they preached the word uh, as they zigzagged their way across the island. They get to the west end, they get to Paphos and uh, there's a fellow by the name of Bar-Jesus. Remember El- Elimus was his real name, but he, he tried to sell himself off as something that he wasn't so that he could get rich off of the name of Jesus and that's where Paul called him out and said, you are a son of the devil. You are not the son of Jesus. You are the son of the devil because you're, you're, you're crooked. You're perverting uh, the gospel. But at that point, Sergius Paulus, the, the pro or the governor of the island, heard the gospel and received Christ. So then they, they moved on. They, they got on a ship again and, and went back up towards Asia Minor. John Mark saw the journey ahead for whatever reason, split and went back to Jerusalem. And last week we talked about uh, Paul and Barnabas going into the synagogue in Perga. Okay, um, they, they went to the synagogue on the Sabbath because they were going to preach to the Jews first, make connections. They knew that there would be Gentile Christians there. Um, but they, they wanted to make that contact and make the connections. And they did that. Verses 17 to uh, 23, we talked about the, the, some of the history of the Jews, but the, the highlight, what we pointed out, was that it was the, the action. Uh, we looked at all the action verbs of what God had done for the people of Israel, that he had chose their fathers, he made the people great, he led them out of Egypt, he put up with them in the wilderness, he destroyed the, the enemy, distributed the land, uh, he gave them judges, he gave them Saul, he removed Saul, gave them David, uh, found David uh, to be a man after his own heart. And then, verse 23, from the offspring of this man, according to promise, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus. And then we looked at John, uh, the next couple of verses talk about John the Baptist, how he, uh, you know, they had, and, and we'd like to think we would have done it so much better than they did. But they had the prophets over and over and over telling them, Messiah's is coming, Messiah is coming. John the Baptist, he's here. He's here, one greater than me. I'm not worthy to even untie his sandals. But he's here. They still didn't get it. They still didn't have a clue. They didn't make the connection. Like I say, we probably wouldn't have done any better. But he says in verse 26, Sons of Abraham, family, those among you who fear God, to use the word, and we know from John 1 that the word is Jesus, to use the word of this salvation, which the root of the Greek word there is Savior, so Jesus is the Savior, is sent out. Today we're going to pick up in verse twenty six or 27 there. And again, it's, it's a lot about the prophecy. Over and over again, Paul is going to make reference back to a couple of the Psalms and, and uh, Isaiah and also to, to Habakkuk once uh, of the guys this was coming. And we remember from, from two weeks ago that, that Saul's sermon, he's, what he's trying to do, he's, he's preaching in the synagogue, so he's preaching to Jews. Some of them have, have believed in Jesus, some of them not. But what he's trying to do is to get them to understand, because they have already bought into the Old Testament. That's why they're in the synagogue. That's why they're there on the Sabbath, and that's why, uh, like it says in verse fifteen, that they were reading the law and the prophets. They've already bought into the Old Testament. They've already they already believe that. That's that's what they're trying to get to affect their way of life. What he's trying to get them to do is transition to the New Testament and understand that Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of. The law, and he was the fulfillment of? Okay, now we're going to pull a fast one on you. We're going to add a third one this week. Okay, it's a tough one. Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of prophecy. Okay, so now when, when we say that, get ready, because now you've got to think three answers instead of two. But Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of the law, he was the fulfillment of the temple, and he was the fulfillment of prophecy. And even with John the Baptist proclaiming, he's here, he's, he's coming right behind me, he's here, they still missed it. Verse 27, For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, recognizing neither him nor the utterances of the prophets, which were read every Sabbath, fulfilled these by condemning him. Wait a minute. That says that by condemning him, they fulfilled the prophecies. Exactly. Exactly. We know several times from earlier in Acts that Peter, um, he, he forgot to read Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, and, and every time he had the opportunity to stand up in front of the Sanhedrin, and he said, you guys killed the Savior. You guys killed the Messiah. Yeah, he didn't win many friends in those, in those discussions. But here... They, what What they did God used to accomplish and fulfill his prophecies about what would happen to his son Jesus Christ again we, we we say we know that it didn't take God by surprise it was his plan from the beginning and and for these to to not fulfill the, the for these to, to not Recognized that Jesus was the Christ, that Jesus was the Messiah. It was part of the plan, but it was fulfilling that prophecy that was to come because God knew what his son was going to have to go through and what he was going to have to endure for us. So they fulfilled the prophecies by condemning him. God uses, God uses all sorts of people and places um, and we'll see at the very end of the sermon today, of the war, and there will be a solemn warning there. Uh, another point where God uses something that is, is not necessarily good, but he, he uses it to accomplish his will. And God used these people in, in their, their ignorance, in, in their lack of accepting the Messiah for who he was, he uses them to accomplish his will and his purpose. Verse twenty eight, and though they found no ground for putting him to death, they asked Pilate that he be executed. And when they had carried out all that was written, okay, again, that execution, them them going to Pilate and asking for Jesus so they could crucify him, was again fulfilling prophecy. When they had carried out all, not part of it, but all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the cross, and they laid him in a tomb next phrase is one of my favorite in the Bible. What, are your, what, what, is your, what does your translation have for the first two words of verse 30? Uh-huh? But God, OK? We, we just looked at 27, 28, 29. prophecies were fulfilled by having Jesus killed. But God. Okay, we, we, if you if if you stop there at the end of verse twenty nine, you go, oh dear, that's not good. That's not good. I think back to to, to Genesis chapter forty five. Remember the story of Joseph and the dreams he had about his brothers bowing down and worshiping him. So they got mad, threw him in a the well. Then they sold him to Egypt. He goes down to Egypt and he. He's smart and good-looking and helps to, he works in Potiphar's house. And Potiphar's wife tries to make advances at him, and he says no. He ends up in prison. And all the time, Joseph never, never lashes out at God. He never, it kind of makes me think of Job and, and all, that, all that God did to Job. Or excuse me, Satan did to Job with God's permission, and never did Job lash out at at God. And Joseph kept kept was faithful, and he and he interpreted the the dreams. Remember of the baker and the cupbearer in the jail, and said, you know, when when you get out and and this happens, just like I said, it did. Tell tell the pharaoh, so he'll he'll get me out of (laughs) here. Nope, they forgot. Didn't pass. Of course, one of them ended up dead. But Joseph was faithful when the time came and King Pharaoh had a dream. And Joseph was taken out of prison and interpreted that dream through God's power. Joseph didn't do it of his own. He would have never claimed that he did it of his own. But then you get to verse, or chapter 45 of Genesis, when his brothers come down to Egypt to get some food for the famine... He says, guys, when when he finally, I mean, he, he plays games, he messes with their minds, he sends them home, and man, he wasn't nice <laughs> part of the time. <laughs> but when he comes down and he's going to reveal himself to, to his brothers, he says, guys, you meant it for harm. But God. But God had him in that place for a purpose. And here we have one of the but gods of the Bible that that are, are just absolutely wonderful and amazing. But God raised him from the dead. He didn't stay dead. Part of his, or his, his dying was fulfillment of prophecy. We know that. But God raised him from the dead. He didn't stay there. He didn't stay there because if he had... And, and we'll, we're going to read in, in communion today in 1 Corinthians 15. If he had... Our faith would be useless. The whole, the whole, the whole, this whole thing would be useless if Christ had remained in the grave. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, the very ones who are now his witnesses to the people. And we preach to you the good news of the promise made to the fathers. More prophecies being fulfilled. That God raised his son from the dead. And we, that, that we, we know that he was his son because God raised him from the dead. That's one thing. There's another. There was many witnesses. Over 500 people saw him after the resurrection. So people that want to deny that it happened just weren't listening to the witnesses. A couple months ago we established the fact in the Jewish court of law you had to have seven If you had seven, it was a done deal. If you had seven witnesses, it says, yes, I saw him steal that piece of candy. He was guilty. There was no way he was getting out of it. So if you had seven, seven, there we go, seven, (laughs) You, you, you you could establish fact on the witness and testimony of seven people. Over 500 people saw Jesus after the resurrection. So those... Those Sadducees, and we, we joke about that, we, we know why they were sad. They were sad, you see, because they didn't believe in the resurrection. Even though five hundred over 500 people were witnesses to the fact that Jesus Christ had indeed been risen from the dead because, but God. But God raised him from the dead. So now we've, we've got the fact that God raised the son from the dead. We've got the fact that over 500 people saw him. In verse 33, God had fulfilled this promise to our children in that he raised up Jesus as it is written in the second Psalm. Okay, here's, here's one of the, the verifications. We won't turn there now, but um, in, in, if you have any chain, chain reference Bible or whatever, it'll be in the margin there, so you have the references there. If not, write it down. Psalm chapter 2, verse 7 second psalm said, Thou art my son, and today I have begotten thee. Verse 34, and as for the fact that he raised him up from the dead, no more to return to decay. He has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he also says in another psalm, Thou wilt not allow thy holy one to undergo decay. Um, I'm sorry, I missed verse, verse 34. was uh, the, the verification was the prophecy and the scripture to go back to was Isaiah 55.3. And then in verse 35, you've got back to a Psalm, Psalm 16.10. Now it's important. Uh, let me read 36. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid among his fathers and underwent decay. That's what happens when we die. That's when, when Jesus came back to, to raise Lazarus from the dead, his, his sister said, "Oh Jesus, no, it's been four days, or three, three or four, three days." He said, "It's been three days. He's going to stink, because that's what happens when we die. Our bodies begin to decay and they don't smell good. OK? And so the distinction that he's making here is David died, and his body decayed just like every other human being. When we die, we decay. Christ did not decay. Um, Verse 37, but whom God raised did not undergo decay. Back to, and connect that with verse 30. God, again, is involved in raising his son from the dead, and he did so. And and there there was never, we, we know... For those of us that love the Lord, and know the Lord, we know that there was never any chance that his body was going to decay. Because God raised him from the dead. God raised him. He wasn't going to stay there. And that's one of the things that makes Christianity different than any other, any of the religions of the world. Nobody has their prophet or their savior resurrecting from the dead and being alive today. I need my t-shirt on. Can I get an amen? (laughs) Okay. David, after he'd served, and and I like that too, it's just kind of a little parenthesis, really isn't the focus of the message, but for David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, and I always tell you, if you ain't dead, God ain't done with you. If you're breathing and you're still kicking, God's got a purpose and a plan for you. And if you're still here and you know Jesus, that means that you're still a part of the body of Christ. And the body needs you, and you need the body. the the word The word church means gather. People think they can after after all this COVID garbage. They, the people think that they can they can stay home and and do church in bed and watch it on TV. Wrong answer. Wrong answer. The word church means gather. It's gathering together. We need the fellowship. God created us people that we like. We like the physical touch. We like to shake the hand or give a hug. We, we need the social interaction with people. God created us that way. And he designed the church to be a gathering together. Not a tuning in and... I'm flipping the old TV channel. The, the remote here. we're supposed to be together we need to be together we need you to be here together with us it's the way it's designed it's the way it's supposed to be but David served his purpose he did what God had planned for him he did what he intended when you die will people be able to say that about you will that be something that's written about you would God say that to you when you? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. When you come home, God did not undergo decay. Excuse me, Christ did not undergo decay because God raised him from the dead. Okay, now now Paul's Paul's a good preacher, and and I know I need to get better at this because at the towards the end of his sermon here he. He has a little application. Verses thirty-eight to, to forty-one are the, the application to his message. And in he 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 helps the people understand and draw the conclusion that he was he was trying to push them towards. I mean, he knows that these people didn't listen to the prophets. He knows that they didn't listen to John the Baptist, so they need some help, okay? They need some help, so he's going to help them draw the application. It doesn't do you any good to leave here today and forget anything that was was preached from God's Word. If it doesn't change you, why are you here? It should be one of your goals to ask Jesus when you come to church every Sunday. Jesus, change me, make me different, make me more like you. And how is that going to Paul? How how is that going to happen this week? And Paul's going to draw help these people draw that conclusion and get to that point. He wants them to be different because of what he preached. And he's preaching the word of God. He's not preaching himself. So it's good that he would want them to be changed because of what he preached. Verse 38, Therefore let it be known to you, brethren, that through him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And through him everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. Remember? Christ fulfilled the He fulfilled the law, He fulfilled the And now He fulfilled Amen. Amen and Amen. No, Getting ready this morning, about two minutes to ten, I came out of my office and I said, oh, I should have had a piece of candy, you know, hard candy or something. To I knew this was coming. Um, Jesus Christ, he, Paul, Paul has preached Christ. He preached what God did for the nation of Israel in the past. <coughs> and now he's telling the people, you didn't recognize him? Your, your fathers didn't recognize them. You didn't recognize them. John the Baptist told you about them, and, and you still didn't get get it. And even though you didn't get it, you were fulfilling prophecy. And, and your fathers, and remember, these are Jews in, in up in Asia Minor. Uh, in, are they in Perga? Yeah, we're still in Perga. They're Jews in Perga. We're not in Jerusalem. So the, these Jews probably... They could have, I guess, if they, they migrated or whatever. Probably didn't have the direct part in the in the crucifixion, in the, the taking them to Pilate and say crucify him. But at the same time, he, he's helping them to understand that they, that they were responsible. They, too, were part of, of why Jesus died. Everyone who believes is freed from all things, from which we could not be freed through the law of Moses. Warren Wiersbe says that through faith in Jesus Christ, they could have two blessings that the law could never provide. The forgiveness of their sins and justification before the throne of God. Now, when, when I was in high school, you know, you always look for things to remember. Well, you know, what's the difference between mercy and grace and, and you know, these big big words like sanctification and justification. How, how do I remember what those mean in that? And we always had a little saying with justification. It's God makes us just as if we had never sinned. This week I learned it goes a step further than that, and I, I mean, you always knew it. But just to add that into that, that saying... <coughs> It is not just that we, as if we had never sinned, but it's just like I had always obeyed. It's even better than just not sinning. Jesus sees us as if we have always obeyed, not because of anything we have done, but because of what he did for us. That's cool. For me, it puts more of a positive spin on it. It's not just as though I'd never sinned, which is pretty incredible that God sees us that way because of what Jesus did for us. But God sees us just as if we had always obeyed. Wow. That just that blows me away. We cannot earn our righteousness. We cannot earn our salvation. It is a gift. Our righteousness that we have is only we have it because of what Jesus did for us. We cannot do it on our own. Oh, I've sinned too much. What? You know, I've sinned too much. God could never forgive me of all of my sin. Write these verses down and look later. But back in Acts chapter 3, verse 15 and 19. And then one we haven't looked at, 1 Timothy 1.13. Those that crucified Christ, He forgives. Those that literally figured it, literally had a part of it, he forgives. And we had a part of it because it was our sin that nailed him to the tree. It was our sin that held him on the cross. But even for those that were present shouting, crucify him, he will forgive. There is no sin that, too big that God will not forgive you. So, Paul wants them to understand. Let it be known, brethren, that through him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and through him everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. The law wasn't going to free you, the temple wasn't going to free them. And the prophecies weren't going to free him because they didn't even pay attention to him. Even though, as it says in verse 15, that they were read in the law, reading of the law and the prophets every, every Sabbath. So, are, are you sitting here, and, and we read the scriptures every, every Sunday, and you leave here and it doesn't change, you don't hear it. You you leave here and it doesn't change you. God's word needs to affect your life. It needs to affect decisions that you make. Otherwise, we're just like those that sat under the reading of the law and the prophets that, that Paul's preaching to here. We're we're hearing, or, or yeah, we're hearing but not listening. Listening but not hearing. We're we're not comprehending. We're not processing. Doesn't do any good. What are you here for then? If you don't want it to change your heart. If you don't want it to change who you are and to change your life. To affect the decisions that you make each and every day. And here is a warning for those that don't take heed. Verse 40 and 41. Take heed therefore so that this thing spoken of him in the prophets. Here we go. Those prophets again. Those things spoken of in the prophets may not come upon you. Verse 41. And, and I'll tell you, just before we read that. Habakkuk is warning the Jews of what's going to happen because of their sin. He's, Habakkuk is telling the Jews, because you have not accepted what the, what the king of kings is trying to get you to, to live like and to believe, the Babylonians are going to come in. And, and they, God again, this is an evil thing that God is using to accomplish his purpose. The Babylonian kingdom was not a God-fearing kingdom that honored and worshipped him but he was going to use it to carry out judgment on the Jews because they weren't listening. They weren't listening to the prophets. They weren't following them. Behold, you scoffers and marvel and perish, for I am accomplishing a work in your days, a work which you will never believe, though someone should describe it to you. And that's Habakkuk 1.5. Though someone should describe it to you. Back in verses 24 and 25, John the Baptist described it to them, and they didn't get it. So, even if someone describes it to you, Habakkuk saying, you, you, you might not get it. You've got to take heed. You've got to listen. You've got to be ready. And, and that, 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 that's a warning that, that there will be judgment for those that do not take heed, that do not listen to the word of God, that do not listen to what the prophet said. And that just, oh, hear it, hear it, hear it, and walk out the door and forget it. C.A. Criswell was the pastor of Moody Church in Chicago for many years. I'm going to conclude with a reading he has here. He gives, Christ gives to us forgiveness of sins. If we are given an opportunity to stand up and to say how we are saved, every one of us would have a different story describing the time and the place in our life when we met the Lord Jesus. But however our lives were introduced to the Savior, one thing we would all have in common, namely... That in him we have an incomparable assurance and rejoicing that God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven our sins. Because of the experiential part of our salvation, God puts a song in our heart and he puts praise and gladness in our souls. For example, Acts 13.48 says, When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the God. Uh, excuse me, of the Lord, the chapter ends with, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. That is why Christians sing, giving experiential response to what God has done for us. Did you know that of all the religions in the world, the only religion that exultingly sings is Christianity? Christians are people who have found salvation in Jesus Christ. Could you imagine Handel's Messiah... And the beautiful Hallelujah Chorus being sung in, sung in a Muslim mosque. <coughs> Excuse me, they don't sing there. In a Buddhist pagoda, they don't sing. In a Shintoist shrine, they do not sing. In a Hindu temple, they do not sing. But wherever you find God's people gathered together in the name of the Lord, there you will find those people singing. Singing is a marvelous outpouring of our hearts and spirits in gratitude and thanksgiving to God for forgiving us and justifying us. The application that Paul draws to the, to the end of his message here is that God made a way of salvation for you. He has a plan for your life. We have the death of Christ, but more importantly, we have the resurrection of Christ. But God, but God raised him from the dead. That everyone who believes is freed from the guilt of sin. We don't have that hanging over our heads. That we can live in victory and therefore sing with joy in our hearts. Stand with me if you would.